I would like to thank all of you who have listened to the first three episodes of Running the Table. The response that we've received so far has been amazing. And while Running the Table was originally intended to just be those three episodes meant to get you started playing a tabletop role-playing game, the questions that we've received have been too numerous and too nuanced to cover in just three episodes. And so, welcome to Running the Table, an ongoing podcast about running and playing tabletop role-playing games. If you would like to ask a question to our host or guests, please email them to rttpodcast at gmail.com or send them to Running the Table on Twitter or Facebook. As always, I am your host, Keith, and today I have with me Kyle Decker from Quest Friends. Hey, that's me. All right. That's, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of amazing to have you on. Thanks. Thanks for yeah, joining me. Um, of course. It, no, it's always it's always it's always something to be on a show where someone actually has a radio voice and a radio presence. I'm not <laughs> used to it. Um, there was another guy, uh, David S. Deer from a Ninth World Journal, who has a similar kind of presence, and I I did work with him once, and it was similarly like, oh, you sound like somebody I, should sound. <laughs> I mean, um, well, thank you. I haven't really thought about. <laughs> that myself um at least not of myself um very flattering uh so for our audience who may not know you uh could you tell us tell us a, a little bit about quest friends and uh you're the dungeon master on quest friends i believe right yes i am yeah. the game master of quest friends quest yes. friends is Huh. All right, so Quest Friends is an actual play Numenera podcast. Now, what does that mean for those of you who aren't familiar with any of those words are? That means uh, me and my friends get together. We play the game Numenera, which is a science fantasy game one billion years in the future. Um, it takes Ooh. many different shapes and forms in its standard form. It's kind of like classical, you know, fantasy with a lot of sci-fi stuff to it. The way we play it is a lot more... I don't want to say goofy. It's I cartoon. Mean, that's, that's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> goofy, cartoony. It's, uh, we, uh, use this long separation to create really farcical takes on the current world. So we've got things like a vigilante accountant, an old lady with metal in her bones. Um, uh. <laughs> and two of their friends as they go through and they, encounter futuristic Las Vegas Disneyland or the airship Titanic that's also a college uh that's also a college a college that's the last that's the end of the word it's the Titanic <laughs> but an airship and a college and also it has dating sim mechanics um yeah we called it a so, po <laughs> so, yeah so like space uh love cruise uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, more like the awkwardness of like it's it's space high school. It's called a college, oh. <laughs> but it's like space high school. Like uh, what is it? Uh, you go. They get to detention. Uh, one of the characters runs across someone they broke up with many many years ago, uh, and is desperately <laughs> trying to fix that relationship. We have Fight Club. I don't know when is this episode going to be released. I mean, Do you what know? what college in high school does not have a Fight Club? I mean. 
It's true. It's Wizard Fight Club. Fun fact yeah. about that is that the song uh, Sandstorm, Darude Sandstorm, is always playing because that survived <laughs> one billion years in the future. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I, it's become mimetic at this point. We cannot get rid of it. Um, yeah, so it's a lot of fun. It's it's very silly. We really straddle the line. Uh, we're under audio fiction and audio audio fiction comedy and audio fiction sci-fi because it's really it's such a strong mix between the two it's hard to really yeah, determine yeah. what it is um, yeah but yeah it's a lot of fun quest friends with an exclamation point yeah and you guys are on twitter um i know that the the podcast can be found a lot of places <laughs> yeah the big ones uh, would be twitter quest underscore friends because an accursed by a month we got beaten by a month uh, by a live improv show in toronto who got the regular quest friends so we're quest underscore friends there and then our website is quest friends podcast.com great uh now i i haven't personally played um numeria so what are some of the uh big mechanics of that game that kind of make it unique so the things about Numenera and the cipher Numenera. system, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's fine. And uh, the thing about Numenera and the cipher system, which is kind of the mechanics mm -hmm. of it that's used in that, and some other systems. Um, I mean, there's a lot to it. It's the 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 kind of thesis behind Numenera is where you're rewarded for doing the good old fashioned murder in something like D and D. And other games, you might be rewarded for social mechanics. Numenera is much more about rewarding for exploration. Uh, and so a lot okay. of the abilities and stuff deal with that. Uh, some of the cool things about it is that instead of having those six skills, you just have might, speed, and intellect. And they're all three different individual health pools. So doing better at things means you basically have to take hit points from yourself. Because you have those three pools. Okay. You have to take hit points in order to increase your odds of doing something. Um, interesting, interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that actually reminds me of... A, it's not necessarily tabletop RPG in the same sense, but um, the game's Betrayal at the House on the Hill and their spinoffs... Oh, yeah. Uh, they use the same kind of system where they've got might, speed... But then they split intellect into knowledge and sanity because it's, you know, a horror game. So it's kind of interesting to see that that uh, same kind of dynamic in a more open-ended role-playing role game like Numenera. Yeah, it's I like it. It was I originally started with Pathfinder and that was too complicated for me as a baby. So I uh, as a baby role player. So I did uh, I this was a lot simpler and helped me get a grasp. Um, OK. And. Yeah, it's I, I I was uh, very lucky myself to just kind of be introduced directly into Dungeons and Dragons and just told figure it out. <laughs> so I guess maybe lucky isn't the the best word, but still. Uh, uh, but that said, I'm always interested in exploring new or different mechanics, and Numenera sounds like it would actually be a great system for a game that i'm looking at potentially running that's focused more on archaeology and so the the focus on exploration might really help out with that 
Um, it's yeah, it's all about finding stuff, and it's that's the only way you level up. I mean, you can level up however you want, but you get points for finding valuable things. Yeah, it now that now that I've uh, heard a little bit more, um, I think that this is probably going to be the system I use for that archaeology <laughs> campaign. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so in your in your time working working in your time as the game master for quest friends um i'm assuming that your character your player characters have had to interact with well you but also not you non-player <laughs> characters if you will yes um and so we actually have some questions from listeners relating to non-player characters so i think that we can uh, dig in a little bit more there now that we've got an idea of how quest friends and Numenera kind of flow. Um, does that sound good to you? Uh, yeah, hit me, hit me. All right, I will just jump right in. The very first question that we've got relating to non-player characters, NPCs, is uh, well, I think it's a little bit tricky, but let's see how you how you think. Uh, how do I create interesting NPCs? And help my characters and myself keep them separate, interesting, and memorable. And how can I use these interesting characters to then make the setting come alive? Yeah, I've been looking at this one for a while. And this was the tough one for me because we have a lot of really interesting questions here. And the thing is, I had, um, I had done another interview related to NPCs where I spent the whole hour talking about this one question. So I'm trying to figure out how to not take up that much time again. <laughs> um, well, I mean, as far as interesting, that's a whole big thing. There's so many ways to make a character interesting. I, yeah, I think, so there's a lot of stuff I could, I could talk about. Um, but I think the thing I want to mention today, and this is the reminder, because I was I just I was thinking about it earlier today. Um, and before I continue, and I mean I know this is obvious, but anything I say today, I'll probably speak very authoritatively, because the things that I call as rules are rules or guidelines or things that I follow for myself. It in no way means that this is how it is. This is just how it is for me, uh, and I want to put yeah. that out there because I'm going to start and saying thing. Things are this way when really... Yeah, and, and I think that that is a very good message for anybody who's interested in running or looking for advice on running any game. Most rules, if you're telling a story, are just kind of guidelines. So, that being said, let me make a very assertive, very strong statement out of the starting gate. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> your NPCs only your NPCs only exist while your players see them. Now that's not true. An important thing about NPCs um that feel dynamic is that they're off doing their own things. For example, in our current arc, some of the big NPCs who have been around for a while, um they have their own art going on, and honestly, I don't want my players to deal with it because they've got so much to deal with already, and it's going on in the background. So there's still things going on, but the thing is, 
all the interesting components you put into your NPC, all the ideas, the backstory, that stuff only exists to your players when they know about it. And so, yeah, I think that's that's one of the big things that I always do to keep in mind, especially when you want to go in to create an interesting character, because you're going to come in with all this stuff like oh, this character. Well, you might you might not, but oh, this character mm-hmm. has this backstory. They're this and they're that. Um, and sure, yeah, they've got, you know, a duck on their shield, but they've got all this more important stuff to them. But when I first see them and I don't know any of that, I'm going to think, oh, it's Duck Shield Lady. <laughs> it's the Duck Shield Knight. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and sometimes you can't even predict what a player group will focus on like a Duck Shield. You could have just given them that because, hey, this would be funny and just like segue into this. And nope, they just say, okay, Duck Shield, that's how we remember you. That is everything. We do not need to know more about why you have a Duck Shield. You are a Duck Shield. And that's actually, I think that's the, for me, the important thing is, uh, is giving that character something your players can attach to. I'm terrible with names. I remember characters by one distinct feature. Uh, I remember this one guy in a game as, oh, this was the person that I yelled at in the first 10 minutes before finding out he was heir to, like, the village leadership. I don't know anything about him besides that, but it helps him stick out in my mind. Yeah, Um, and interactions... And memorable moments like that can mean a lot more than some detailed backstory or a name even that players might never learn or might forget. Yeah, so uh, so that kind of comes to a, a twofold thing is one, giving your characters distinct features. Um, it's just, oh, this character has the duck shield and barks mm. at you when you make her mad. I just watched... Um, I just rewatched Black Panther when they do that to the characters near the very end. They bark them down, and I'm like, that's a great feature. Um, And so it's like just something like that, but it's also a lot of following your players. When they latch on to something, that's their point of reference. Yeah. And uh, going back to... um... One of the things that you said before about how NPCs oftentimes will have their own arcs going on that the players may not know about. I feel like that kind of answers the second part of this question is how can you use memorable NPCs to make the setting come alive? Well, the the players are going to remember Duck Shield Lady because she had a duck on her shield and she was really mean to them for some reason. Okay, cool. And then Duck Shield Lady goes off and she has this story arc that ultimately just culminates and now she's the captain of the guard of this area. Cool. Then they run into her. Duck Shield Lady is captain of the guard, has all of these followers that can make the setting feel like it's moving. And so even if you're not necessarily keeping them in view of the players, just having that kind of arc that they might not be directly involved in, I feel like can make the story the setting of the story come alive and an important thing to know from a player point of view 
is when you were going on the story, my first thought was, oh no, what's he going to do to the duck on the shield? What's going to happen to this poor painted duck? <laughs> um, do you mind if I throw out and, my one, my one yeah. sheet, my one sheet that I use here though? Cause it's mm -hmm. tough. It's tough to create memorable things. So what yeah. I do to cheat is I grab something the players care about and I throw it in there. So for example, in our campaign, the main villain is based on a joke that one of the player characters from uh, our old campaign, uh, I kept saying he was going to turn evil. So I made him the main antagonist of this game. <laughs> I have named three NPCs off of, excuse me. Sorry, no, four. I've named four NPCs after one of my player's nieces and nephews. I've named <laughs> multiple characters off of former PC characters. I have multiple references to Parks and Rec and to Miraculous Ladybug, which my players all know about and like. And it's just throwing in things like that that help remind your players of things that they like will, at least for me, has made it a lot easier. And I don't do it for every character. Um, but it's, it's a nice cheap way to make sure people remember, remember characters and it's, they won't get stuck in it. Like I had a character who I was like, uh, what am I thinking? Oh, I had two characters, uh, this player's parents. I was like, oh, it came from a joke of what if this character's parents were two characters from Parks and Rec, but they had a kid. Um, <laughs> and so we're like, we're going to make them his two dads will be these two <clears throat> characters. And then oh. <laughs> that helped us remember it at the very, very beginning. But by this point, they're their yeah. own characters and that original reference isn't around anymore. So don't think, at least in my yeah. experience, when I've done that reference, it's been a great starting point, but I haven't been saddled with that information. Like they become their yeah. own thing. And in, in a sort of similar vein, I've had uh interactions with npcs that i believed might have been just one-offs i created them on the spot didn't have anything <laughs> memorable had to like generate a name randomly after five minutes of trying to think of one that kind of thing that then a single character just really latched on to something this throwaway npc did or said and so okay well this throwaway npc is now just going to merge with this other story related one because they will remember this one because they had a meaningful interaction with it it's it's so much in general of playing the game is playing i don't want to say catch up it's playing off what your players give you and i mean there are some games that are really designed behind that but even if like me you've i know how the story is gonna end and that's mm -hmm. just because i'm doing it for radio and the kind of story, this, lo this long-form narrative that I'm doing where I want all these narrative components to it, um, and I have lots of ideas of what I want to do, just for the game I'm making, that it involves a lot of planning for the style I'm doing. But having wiggle room to follow up with, uh, to f basically follow the lead that my players give me has really helped with making some NPCs very important and letting me just kind of push some to the side that we're going to be a big deal, but we don't like them. They're going to go away. 
And we're going to take yeah. we're going to take Jerry, which is my random NPC name. We're going to take Jerry, who is just supposed to be a one-off character, and suddenly now he's going to be the heir to this great legacy because they like him more. Yep. Uh speaking of our next question is what is your favorite NPC that you've ever created? How did you come up with them and what was their role in the story? So, and I'm sorry if you hear paper. I accidentally uh, cut myself. No um, What? Yeah, so sorry if you hear the paper. Um, but, okay, so, let's talk about Lorraine. Uh, Lorraine. <laughs> Lorraine. Uh, and this is going to get into some spoilery territory. Not too much, but for, uh, it, it'll talk about our third arc in detail. Okay, so if you are meaning to... If you're new to Quest Friends and are meaning to listen from the beginning, maybe skip ahead. Yeah, and and you can. I think I'm one of those people who think spoilers are more intriguing, and I won't talk about how the plot ends, but I think the presence So of the maybe plot, stay. <laughs> maybe stay. Who knows? Decide for yourself. Anyways, it's your decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... One of my characters came in without a whole lot of reference besides, oh, my character's Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec, but he's a vigilante. I'm like, cool, we can work with that. And so, so much of his backstory is uh, is based on just references. He grew up in the town of Dunshire. He has the two Parks and Rec dads. And mm-hmm. um, at one point I was like, you know what would be fun? If he had a rival... I was uh, I was listening. What was it? I was listening to Tamatoa's song from Moana. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen, he's a big. I don't know. I don't know. What... He's he's a he's a coconut crab. He's a coconut crab. Okay, he's a big coconut crab who's just a hoarder and loves shiny things and is all self obsessed. And his song is. I'm not going to say the best song because it actually has a lot of good songs. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie, but um, he has a real good song. So I was listening to this and I'm like, you know what? It would be fun if this, you know, vigilante accountant had a nemesis who was the opposite of everything that he was. And so I asked my friend who had very little backstory, hey, what if we made a Leslie Nope rival for you? So I just made this <laughs> character based on Leslie Nope. She had platinum blonde hair. Uh, she had an L name. So I did Lorraine. Uh, Lorraine Styles was her full name. And she always wears roller skates in a reference to the fact that uh, Ben Wyatt has this attraction to ladies in roller roller skates or roller blades. I forget which one. Um, I think it's roller skates, but I could be wrong. I feel like people usually use roller skates. I don't hear roller blades that often. Well, blades um, are the, the single line. Yeah, those are the only ones I used as a kid, um, which yes. is why I'm so used to those. So uh, I think that Ben Wyatt has a thing for roller skates. Okay. Okay. So I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to create this character. And she was literally just created to be a fun villain. 
know, <laughs> I'm going to put on like Lorraine. I'm going to put on a voice for her. That's all silly and, and sinister. Like I'm doing a very poor Ursula impression or something like that. <laughs> and, but the thing is I had, that was all I had for this character. And then bits and pieces started coming into place. Here's one big spoiler for Hopper's memory. You can skip ahead 30 seconds. Um, but Hopper's memory, uh, he had a, a girl named Beatrice that he met as a kid. And I kept on lying to Hallie and being like, no, that's not Lorraine. It absolutely was Lorraine. His uh, <laughs> backstory episode was just how he met this character. And suddenly, <laughs> as a joke, I was like, maybe he had puppy love for this young for this Beatrice. And she played into it. So suddenly after this thing, she had a, my, the character, the player, uh, Hallie, who plays uh, the vigilante accountant, mm-hmm. had a very personal beef with Lorraine and also had, as a kid, had puppy love with her, which gave us a lot more to work with. And things continued and continued and continued. And then, oops, suddenly this character's character arc with Lorraine was basically a point uh, like a a shot for shot remake of a real life abusive relationship that I had had as um, in college Uh, and the player's been doing phenomenally with it and she I've been talking a lot to make sure it doesn't get too bad like you know because bleed can get really bad with that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um and he's in a better he's getting better now he's on he's on the uptick from the end of that arc a year and a half later um but i just there was so much personal put into that character and because i was just letting her develop based Mm -hmm. on the truths that i had been laying down in gameplay what was originally a silly one-off character has become by far the most memorable villain and probably the most memorable NPC uh, of the entire campaign. And that's not just for me and my players, because she's definitely the most memorable NPC for me and my players. I'm talking about for probably the vast majority of our listener base in the first place. That's amazing. Yeah. Got me invested in Lorraine. (laughs) She's great. She's terrible. But she was the most fun I had with the villain. I'm having that, lots of fun with mine now, but uh, one of them is secret. That, that sounds like the best way to describe a really great villain. She's great. She's terrible. <laughs> I, yes. I've also yeah. learned that the harder, the harder your fans can thirst after a villain, typically the more they're <laughs> beloved. It's true for everything. You ever have anyone, like, just just type in, anyone can type in, um, just just type in, uh, what is it, She-Ra, oh. She-Ra Catra, and watch the teens go crazy. I have to, I, I am going to say the teens because it is, like, teenage characters and stuff, but that's also going to be a large part of their fan base, so, yeah. um, but just watch the teens go wild with those characters, or... If you've watched the third season, one of the characters suddenly got hot, and now everybody likes them. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Isn't, I was, isn't, isn't that I, a little bit of like the Halo effect, though? <laughs> what happened with Halo? 
No, the the halo effect is the perception that um, people who are attractive are more likely to be benev- are more likely to be perceived as benevolent and skilled or talented. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I, that's absolutely what's going on. It's it's not great. Yeah, but it is a fact of just people's psychology. <laughs> So yeah, that that is a great way to help make a, a villain become a fan favorite as far as I, villains go. I had done a tweet saying, if you want a great villain, make them hot or make them sad, but for the love of God, don't do both. Yeah. The second you do both, people will start calling for their redemption. We call that the Zuko effect. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who have not watched Avatar, The Last Airbender, and don't know Zuko, go watch it. He's a it's very great. sad he's he's a very sad, cute boy with a good uncle. Yep. Who redeems himself eventually. <laughs> Alright. Uh speaking of hot villains and puppy love, I think that we can move into our next <laughs> and potentially last question for the episode. Um when you're interacting with your players as an NPC and doing that role play interaction, how do you handle romance or flirty behavior between player characters and NPCs? Isn't that awkward? So, you do it. Um, there's more to it than that, but that's basically what it comes down to is so if your thought with this question is isn't that awkward uh the the first thing i would encourage you to do is just make sure you set boundaries the reason i'm very comfortable with the copious amount of romance we have in our current game (coughs) is just because the players and i all have very similar boundaries we're very Mm -hmm. comfortable with like Uh, keep on coming with with like the awkward oh man I have a crush on this person. I want to ask him out or like the cute uh, or or the idealism romance. We li- I literally did an episode. That's the first 10 minutes of up, but a whole episode. <laughs> and we're all very comfortable with that, but we never get into physical descriptions and we never get saucy. Uh, and there are, there are some folks who might get into that, but that's just the boundary we've all set. We all don't want to get saucy. We'd be uncomfortable with that. Um, and that makes sense. I, I think that that, that uh, is just a general good principle for running a game and communicating with your players. Know your boundaries, know your players' boundaries, and respect them. Um, yeah. And then that's, that's, basically, that's basically the key. From that point, it's just, it's like writing any other characters uh, and responding to how characters you know, act. I don't hate my friends, but I can play someone who absolutely loathes them. And I don't want to fuck my friends, but I can play someone who wants to do that too. It's, um, (laughs) it's one of those. It's, it's kind of a a detaching the character from yourself. Yeah. I let myself fall into the role playing that I do with any other character. And it's just another component of the role that I'm playing. It also works. It also helps if you, as a person, get into some good old fashioned shipping. For people who don't know what shipping, 
For people who don't know what shipping is, it's when two, uh, when you want two or more characters to get in a romantic relationship. Hence the ship part of it. And so it's something yeah. that you often see in fan things. I brought up Shira a lot. There's a lot of shipping within that show. Admittedly, I that the show supports. So. Yeah, I, I believe that. Uh, um, speaking of shipping uh, and romance in, in games, apparently it has come out that one of the fans of the other podcast that I am on, Experience in Gold, ships my cowboy robot with several various people. That's and <laughs> that's fine. Go ahead. That's amazing because our vigilante cowboy, who I've been talking about a lot, uh, there was a period where he was shipped with everyone, including himself, um, but not himself. It gets convoluted here in the Quest Friends verse. Actually, it's one of those, it makes sense in context. Um, but the thing is, I believe yet, that. It helps me when I get unabashedly to like extreme fan levels of shipping. I like see these two characters and I'm like, I want them to be together and happy because it's no longer, it's no longer like I want, you know, I'm playing this character and my friend's playing this character. And so we're indirectly hitting on each other. It's, I really, really want this character to be, um, with this other character. And by playing, I facilitate this thing that I want to happen happening yeah and it's more about the characters themselves than whoever is playing them yeah and admittedly yeah. you might have a flirty table that just wants to do that too but if that's the case you probably didn't ask this question yeah <laughs> and if you truly are uncomfortable with that kind of interaction just speak with your players make sure that they're aware of it and have them respect your boundaries yeah and you can fade to black with basically anything Honestly, we should fade to black more because it will save a lot of time on a lot of things. <laughs> There's so much that yeah. we should just be like, and it happened. Um, Something with, happened. With Imagine it. Characters. Yeah, I mean, fade to black for everything. Oh, man, we're going to negotiate this treaty. Sometimes <laughs> fade to black and it happened. Um, otherwise, yep. you end up with very long arcs. <laughs> And that kind of can lead into the next one. Uh, if you do have a character NPC romance, oftentimes romantic people will tend to get involved and uh, want to be around each other. So you might have a NPC join the player uh, group. Or they might just join for whatever reason, non-romantic or whatever. So this question is, when it comes to non-player characters joining the party, what's a good way to handle it? It seems like it could unbalance the party, or even seem like I'm trying to be a player and a game master at the same time. I'd like to try to balance these. So this one. This was one that I requested, because we just did this. Um, and so because of that, and I know we're quick, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But, oftentimes something that happens when a character turns evil, a PC turns evil, and they don't really fit the role of a PC anymore is that they are handed over to the GM to be played as an NPC. Something mm. I might encourage you to do is to do the opposite. 
if a non-player character joins the party and virtually becomes a PC, maybe just give them to one of the players. Um, that's what we did. We have a new half PC that's uh, follows companion rules mechanically, but play-wise is just the second character played by one of our players. And since I can play multiple characters, I don't think there's any reason my players can't either. So that's not the only workaround, but that's an option that I would encourage people to try because we just did that and it is one of my favorite decisions that we've made in the entire show. That actually sounds like an amazing solution to this kind of problem, especially if you actually don't want to be playing the, a character at the same time as running a game. You can just hand it off and give it to a player. Yeah. I really like that solution. Thank you. Of course. I just uh, it's my favorite NPC is the one not played by me, so I needed to <laughs> I like Lorraine. The one that I'm having the most fun with right now is the one I don't play and is with the party. Yeah. Alright, that makes sense. Alright. We're gonna have to cap it here. Um so first of all, thank you so much, Kyle. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um so this has been running the table. With my guest today, Kyle Decker, the Game Master of Quest Friends. I definitely recommend checking it out. Tons of fun. Um, so please follow any links in the description down below. Check out support projects. Uh, and I'd also just personally like to thank you for listening. And if you find yourself with questions that you want answered about anything tabletop role-playing game related... Please send them my way to rttpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook at Running the Table.